And uh, this morning, I, I want to I speak a message that I feel, uh, it's a message that I've done before, years ago, but as I, was, as I was praying while I was away on holiday, I really, I really felt God bring this message back to me as a message for us as a church in 2019. That it's, it's a message that kind of, I think, is uh, a prophetic one for what this year needs to look like for you and I. And what confirmed that even more for me was last week when we had Pastor Dan Pike here. How many people here were for him? Wasn't his message fantastic? Just brilliant, that a view of God's mercy we present ourselves. And and, um, and I, I love, if, if you've been here long enough, you know that I'd love to talk to people about what it is that God has called them to do. I want to. I love to focus on where God is taking us, not where we are. I believe that the thing that I love about God the most is that He speaks to the potential of who I can be, not who I am currently. And I believe the church should always be a place where we talk about where we're going, not where we are. That we talk about the potential of who we are becoming more and more like Him instead of the state that we're in. There's nothing wrong with talking about the state that we're in, but the state that we're in is not a state to stay in. The state that we're in is just what we're passing through on our way to becoming more like him. And, and I think that that's good news, yeah? Not bad news, it's good news, and the church should push that. And I know we quote lots of scriptures, like out of Jeremiah, for God knows the plans that he has for you, for a future and for a hope, and that gets quoted a lot, and... And that's really, really awesome, and it's a great thing, and it's true that God has a plan for your life, that, that it's for good and it's not for evil, and you can trust Him, and everything's going to be okay. And we also know that He says things like we are His workmanship that He created in Him before we even knew Him, and He, and he set aside things for us to do, stuff for us to accomplish, things for us to have an impact in. And, and, the thing that I, and, and then we come into Psalm 139, and it says that he planned every single day of our lives before we've lived one, and God, we know that God has a plan for our life. And the biggest thing that I always get asked is, what is God's will for my life? That's always the biggest question that people ask. And I don't think you can ever really answer emphatically what, somebody, what God's will is for somebody's life, because I never feel like in my life, and I know it's the same in yours, and when we read through the Scriptures, God only kind of points in a direction. He doesn't give the whole story of what you're going to become. Otherwise, if he gave us the whole story, we probably wouldn't want to get there because in the life of Joseph, for example, his story of saving the world, I mean, how cool is that? It's like God called him to save the entire world. It'd be like, I don't know about you, but if that was my calling, it'd be like, yeah, what did you do with your life? Oh, I just saved the world. But he saved the world there, being thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, imprisoned for something he didn't do. You know what I'm saying? It's like God takes us on journeys, and then we start to doubt where we're going or what he's doing because we don't understand that what God takes us through is to get us to a place where we can save the world. And so I want to talk to you this morning about where I believe we currently are as a church, as individuals, and the thing that's robbing us from going into what we need to do. Because there's a call on our church, there's a call on you. And we should fulfill our call. But there's something that sometimes gets in the way of our call, and I want to show you something out of the Scriptures this morning that will hopefully help us to step out and into what God has called us to do. And it starts in Genesis 
chapter 50, verse 22 to 30. It says, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machah and the son of Manasseh were also brought upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, or brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. Everyone say, God will surely visit you. That's a promise for this morning. And bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from them, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. I, I love this about Joseph, because Joseph was someone who passionately pursued what it was that God called him to. It was the thing that drove him. You, you, you don't go through what he went through, being imprisoned and all that sort of stuff, and not prisons like, like we have, prisons that have raw sewage running through it and all that sort of stuff. You don't go through that sort of thing with a great heart like he had unless your focus is on what God has called you to instead of what you're going to. But the great thing about Joseph is always fixed on where God was taking him to the point that now he's about to die and his number one concern is where his bones end up. I don't know about you, but if I was dying, my number one concern would be about letting my family know that I love them. I couldn't really care less what they did with my bones after I'm gone. I've never seen anybody's bones. I've done lots of funerals, and I've never seen anybody's bones say, excuse me, I have something I would like to say here. I don't want to be buried there. Can you take me over there? Bones don't really have a right or an opinion, but Joseph was, and why your bones? Like when you go, it's not your body, your body decays, yes? It's not your body that's who you are. It's your soul. It's your spirit, who you are, and that goes to God. We know that scripture says that when we know him. So why are you so worried about your bones, Joseph? But Joseph was so fixed on, he said, when God comes and calls you out of this to the land, to the place that God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Joseph knew that even though they were now in Egypt and they had been in Egypt for a long time because of the famine and everything, he knew that this was not their destination. He knew that this was not the place that they were to stop. He knew that one day God would come along and say to him, hey, we need to get out of here because I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would get Israel into the promised land. We know if we follow the story on, we know that, that Moses is eventually born as a deliverer and he takes the people out of Egypt and into the promised land and, 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 and actually fulfills, well, he doesn't take them in. Joshua takes them in. Moses stays out of that. But, but we know that that's, that's the whole thing. God's just working towards his plan all the way in the Old Testament to get them from where they are to where he promised them to be. And Joseph on his deathbed is still consumed by where they're meant to be. It's like, I, I would say at 110 years of age, you've lived a pretty good life. You've saved the world. You can rest now. Enjoy it. You deserve uh, your death and eternity with Jesus. Yes? I've done some funerals. I remember doing Val League's funeral a long time ago. And the thing that I felt when I was at her funeral was just God just saying, 
it's cool. She's done such a great job. Now it's time for her to just relax and enjoy heaven. She worked so hard on earth. And, and in Joseph's scenario, I'd be like, mate, you saved the world. Just, just relax. Enjoy. You're about to go to be with Jesus. Don't worry about your bones. But Joseph was so consumed with God's promise, so consumed with where he was calling them to go that even in his death, he wanted to make sure his bones got to the right location. I think that if we can learn anything from Joseph is that he was dying, but he wasn't satisfied. He was dying, but he, he understood this, that the goal of his life was not for him to be in comfort. It was not to settle down and have a good you know, have a good life and a nice house and a nice job. Not that those things are wrong, but they're not the goal. They're byproducts of serving Jesus. Joseph understood that the goal was to get to where the promise was. The goal was to fulfill the calling of God on his life. It's a little bit like Matthew puts it in chapter 6, verse 33, where it seeks ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, house, career, family, shall be added to you. The priority is to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. It's to pursue the calling. It's to pursue what it is that God has called us to do. And in doing that, all these things get added. See, when we live a life of comfort, we pursue the things that are meant to be added and we hope that God will add the kingdom and the righteousness to us. And Moses and Joshua in this situation is like, I might be dying and I might have accomplished all of these things, like saving the world, but I'm still seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness is my focus and I must, I want my bones to be at the location that God is calling us to. When I die, I want to get there. He was still focused on where he was going. He had a desire that the call of God on his life or the call of God on the life of Israel was the most paramount and most important thing, more important than anything else, that is so important to him that he had to have his bones buried in the right location. I, I wonder in our lives and in my life how many times I've settled for the comfort rather than the call. And I believe that every single person in this room has a call of God on your life because the Bible teaches that. Every single person in this room has a role to play in the kingdom of God. I know that because Ephesians says, that it's my job, pastors, out, uh, evangelists, prophets, teachers, all that, to train you up so that you do the work of the ministry. In other words, that you fulfill the calling and the giftings that God has placed on your life. It, it's, it's, it would be wrong of me to go around and doing something that you can do because I rob you of the ministry that God's called you to. In fact, Pastor Chris Hodges, the Church of the Highlands, says this, that if he finds one of his staff doing the ministry work, he fires them because they're not called to do the ministry. They're called to train the people to do the ministry so that they fulfill their calling and have a satisfactory life. And if we go around doing the ministry for you, then we rob you of what it is that God has called you to. And I believe in 2019, we can't afford to settle and be comfortable anymore because church can be quite comfortable. I think that we, we've come a long way in, in the time that we've been here, but I sense that there's a little bit of a comfort level that has now creeped into the life of our church. We were quite happy to turn up on Sundays and do all that, but you know the, the volunteer list seems to be getting a little bit shorter and the amount of host team people able to turn up seems to get a little bit, and we're kind of getting a little bit comfortable with just 
playing a role instead of pursuing the call. There are people in this room that God is calling to do all sorts of things and and we have to come to this place where the call will always interfere with your comfort. And we have to make a decision this year as individuals and in the church, are we going to live a life of comfort or are we going to live a life of calling? Because it's the call of God on our lives that we should desire the most. And, and Joseph is saying to them, don't settle here. Make sure you go to where God has promised us. And the story goes on and says, now these are the name of the children of Israel who came to Egypt, each man in his household with Jacob. It's in Exodus 1, verses 1 to 7, and it lists all the people. And then it says that all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons to, and all this sort of stuff. And then it talks about how Joseph dies, and then it says that his brothers die, and then that whole generation dies. And then the next generation comes through, and it says, but, in verse 7, the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. So jo Joseph has said, so don't stay here in Egypt. Go on to where God has called us to. And so his generation dies off and the next generation stays in Egypt, multiplies, grows, have lots of babies and become mighty and numerous and basically get to the point where there's more Israelites living in Egypt than there is Egyptians. And they're just being fruitful and they're just multiplying and they're sitting back in Egypt, settled and comfortable. And, and, and sometimes that's what can happen. It feels like you're in the right place because they, they think they're in the right place because they're being fruitful. They're, they're multiplying, they're increasing. Sometimes the enemy will get you to stop in a place and get you comfortable and make it look like you're actually doing the right thing because there's this comfort going on. But they lost sight of the call. They lost sight of where... God had called them to, they settled in the land and they got comfortable. And Joseph told them at his death, don't stay here. Even though it's comfortable, don't stay here. This is not where God has called you to be. But instead they, they settled and they got comfortable and there's this, there's this pressure going on on the inside of them and it goes on on the inside of each and every one of us. And that's this, it's, there's this call of God that we feel that's it's drawing us towards what he has asked us to do versus the comfort of where we currently are. And even later on in the story where Moses is taking the people out of Israel and taking them out of Egypt, sorry, and into their promised land and, and, and things aren't going as well as what the people would like and they start complaining and they say this to Moses, they go, let us go back to Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt for 800 years God's now taking them into the promised land, but because they can't see what's about to happen, because there's a lack of trust in where God's taking them and their calling, they would rather go back to slavery than step into their promise. God starts to call us out of our comfort, starts to call us out of the thing that we've become comfortable in, but he never gives us the full plan. Why? Because it's a walk of faith. And faith is not by what you see, but by what you hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so God speaks to you about where he's taking you and he shows you so much of the path in front of you, but not the whole thing. Why? Because he's a lamp unto my feet and a light 
unto my path. He doesn't give you the whole picture and because it requires faith. It requires trust. It requires to trust him that he is a good, good God. That he is good, that all things work together for good for those who love him and accord according to his purpose. It's a great scripture that we quote all the time. But if you're honest and I'm honest, most of the time when we're going for a difficult thing, that's the last thing we think of. We don't think that this bad situation is God's purpose to bring about a good outcome. We think that he's gone missing in action and we need him to turn up and fix the situation. Because there's a lack of trust in where he's calling us to and so as it starts to get a little bit uncomfortable as we're moving into what he calls us to do and things don't seem to go quite right and offenses happen and problems come about, what we do is we go, oh, I really feel uncomfortable with that and I'd rather go back to slavery because better the devil you know than the devil you don't. So I'd rather live in slavery than fulfill the call. Or else the enemy tells you this, you can enter the promised land, but you don't have to be in it all the time. Like, you can go to church on Sunday and be in the promise, and then Monday through to Friday, you can be over here. So you've got this one foot in Egypt and the other foot in the promised land, but reality, all you are doing is walking around in the wilderness, and your life becomes dissatisfied. Because it's the call of God that Joseph is talking about. It's the call of God that should be paramount, not the comfort. And these guys had settled, man, because there's a really good fish and chip shop just up the road. And they did snapper, and you could get either battered or crumbed. It was amazing. So why would I step into the promise when, when this is really, and the schools here are amazing. And so we're just going to stay here in the promised land you know, some uh, in the in Egypt, we're just going to stay here because it's so comfortable and the schools are great. Takeaway, it's amazing. The coffee at the local cafe is like, oh, you just wouldn't believe it. And so we stay and we get stuck. Sometimes the things we are so comfortable for in are the things that God is calling us from, because God always challenges your comfort with His calling. We just have to look all the way through Scripture to see that God always challenges comfort with calling it's it's easy to stay in comfort it's it's hard to accept the call of God it's it's hard to step into what he is calling us to we, we saw that with Joseph's life where he he gets up and he shares the dream about what God has called him to and and then he goes thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and accused of something he didn't do and goes to prison and and goes through all of that it's it's not easy to go after the call of God on your life. I mean, there's some incredible stories in Scripture. There's Ezekiel's wife who dies, and, and God tells him he's not allowed to shed a tear. He's not allowed to mourn her. He's not allowed to cry for her. Um, your wife's just died, but don't you dare cry. It's, it seems mean. It seems unfair. It seems even worse when he comes to Jeremiah and tells, tells him to go into the, 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 the central part of the town and lie on his side naked for several months. If you came to me after church this morning and go, I feel like God's telling me that uh, the call of my life is to go down to the center of Pukekohe here, strip naked and lie on my side for six months, we'd be ringing Fidanaki and booking you an appointment with a psychologist. But that's what God called, that's not easy, yes? It's not easy. 
I can remember when I was 17 years of age, I remember my mate, it was late at night and we had a batch up at Martin's Bay up near Whangaparoa and him and I thought at 17 years of age it would be really cool to go skinny dipping at midnight thinking nobody was around. The only problem was his brother realised what we were doing, his older brother, and he hid in the bushes, waited for us to take everything off and go into the water and then he went and got our clothes and took them home. Wasn't that comfortable coming out of the water realising there's no clothes there and in the meantime, after he'd taken the clothes home, he got everybody together, woke them up and told them, come and look at this, this is awesome. And that was just skinny to me, let alone lying on your side for six months, naked in the town square. Then there's Hosea. Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I want you to marry this prostitute over here. And then she's got to cheat on you. And I want you to take her back. And then she's going to cheat on you again. And I want you to take her back. And then she's going to have children to somebody else. But I want you to love them and take her back. Because I need your marriage to show Israel what they're doing to me. That they keep cheating on me and then coming back. That doesn't seem fair. If I've served God my whole life and put him first, that's not fair. It doesn't look fair when Joseph is going through prison, but when you stand on the other side of the calling, when you stand on the other side of what God has called him to do, and he's able to stand there and say, wow, because I went through that, we've saved the world. Come on. We've saved the world because we've gone through that. Because Hosea went through that, Israel turned its heart back towards God and a nation came back to Christ. Because of what Jeremiah did, people's lives were transformed and changed. Because of what Ezekiel did, their lives were transformed and changed. See, when you get on the other side of the call and you see the salvations and the lives that have been touched and transformed and changed and those people are now going to heaven instead of going to hell. When you get on the other side of the call, then you understand that oh that was uncomfortable but I'm so glad that we went through that because if Joseph hadn't gone through the discomfort the world would have perished in famine and if we decide to stay in comfort instead of going after our call how much of our community is going to perish in famine instead of finding Jesus well I could never lead a connect group it's I, I just I it's not about what you think you could do. It's about what God has calling you to. If I'm honest with you every week, just about, I think I can't do this. I can't pastor this church. I have way too many insecurities and issues that I need to deal with. But it's not what I can do. It's about what he's called you to. And we have this challenge that happens. We love it when... When God speaks to us and when the prophet comes to town and says, this is what the Lord says to you and you're going to have great influence. and We love the prophetic words, yes? But the prophetic word has to be fulfilled and there's comfort in getting it, but there's not so comfortable walking it out. But when you walk out the call at the end, there is the prize. Paul said this, I... Press on towards the prize, the high calling of God. It's that thing when we see a transformation of a community or transformation of a family. While I was at summer camp, the thing that I loved the most was just watching and remembering. You know, I've been in the church 12 years now and people have been here a long time and I can remember, you know, the Munns coming to the church and Anna was 
little, little, well, she still is, but littler, littler Anna. And there she is at camp leading worship, bringing the presence of heaven here in Beth, bossing everybody around during the tribal wars, leading, seeing transformation happen in people's lives like Cullum Blundell and Cullum Caleb Sands. I call him Caleb all the time, so I just had him that in there. His name's Cullum, but the change in people looking at Heather here and seeing the transformation and what God has done in life. When you stand on the other side of the call, when you stand on the other side of some of the discomfort and some of the pain and some of the hurts and some of the things, when you stand on the other side of that and you see the transformation in people's lives, it's so worth it. We would sacrifice anything for our children and we, we would sit back and we may sacrifice a whole lot financially to get them for university, but none of us regret it when we sit in there on the day when they graduate with a degree and we're just so proud and all the costs that it cost us over the years to support them doesn't matter anymore, does it? Because you're so proud of how they've become and who they've become. And so when we, it's a little bit like what Dan was saying last week, you know, when we see the mercy of God, how can we not serve him? These guys have got comfortable. It's worth pursuing the call of God even when it's not comfortable, even when it hurts. It's so much easier to stay in Egypt. And the story goes on in Genesis chapter 1, 8 to 14, and it says that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh comes in, the Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, who, who didn't really know what Joseph had done, didn't realize that Joseph had saved them as a nation. And all he saw was all the Israelites growing, more and more and more and more of them. And he starts to freak out and say, hey, guys, we're going to do something about all these Jews because there's so many Israelites now that what if they turn against us and overthrow us? Or, or what if they side with one of our enemies and fight against us? We, 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 these guys are a threat to us now. These guys are a problem to us now. So what we're going to do is we're going to put them into slavery and we're going to whip them and we're going to beat them. And, and the Bible says that they, they made them serve with rigor. Basically, they, they just got on, they, they were the most horrible taskmasters, most horrible masters over them and just and worked them like dogs and made them make everything and and put them into bondage in such a way that Israel couldn't break out so they'd gone from this comfortable life where they were multiplying and they were growing to this position where now they were a threat to Egypt and so now they're in this massive amount of bondage and I want to tell you this morning from what I've seen when I read through scripture the minute that you settle for comfort you better get ready for bondage. Because God is calling you into something. And the minute you settle in comfort, the next minute you realize you're in bondage to the comfort. They stayed. They didn't even see it coming. They didn't even realize. They thought that they were safe in Egypt because everything that Joseph had done to the next Pharaoh didn't realize. And he saw them as a threat and put them into bondage. And I want to tell you, comfort, when we start living in the comfort, and, we, and we're more comfortable with what we know than where God is calling us to, you just get stuck in the place. And you never move on from there, and you settle for comfort. God often put Israel into a place where he would put them into a place of bondage so that they'd cry out to him. He would have the enemies come and attack Israel purely so Israel's heart would turn back towards him. 
because he has a plan for them to get them to their promised land and he can't afford them to be stuck in Egypt. And so they start to cry out like you and I would cry out. They start to cry out to God for a deliverer. If there's one thing I've learned in my life, it's either you cry out to him or it puts you in a position where you have to. God's desire for your life is that your life would center around his life. Just like a a baby cries out for its mother, its life source, the baby just wants its mum, it needs its milk, it needs the life source of the mother. God wants us to be exactly the same as that with him, that we would cry out to him as our life source, that we would position ourselves daily at the life source of Jesus, that we would hunger for what it is that he's calling us to and not settle for where we are. It's not programs and flyers that change a nation. It's not the lights. It's not all the flash building that brings a community to Jesus. It's it's a people that cry out. It's it's not what we do on a Friday night where we have all these really funny games and make the kids feel comfortable. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but it's when my people humble themselves and pray and cry out and turn from their wicked ways, then I hear from heaven. Then I come and heal the land. There's this thing that's, that we've got to do on top of all that. I love the lights. I love what the youth do on Friday night. I love all that stuff. But unless we start to cry out, we're just going to get comfortable with it. So they start to cry out of their bondage. And then in Exodus 2, 1 to 6, we have the story. See, Pharaoh was worried about the Israelites, so he started to kill all the born, all the boys that were born. And then Moses was born, and his parents hid him for a certain amount of period of time, hid him away. And then when they could no longer hide him anymore, they put him into a basket, and they sent him down the river, and he just happened to turn up at the same place as Pharaoh's sister. And so God gave them a deliverer and Moses that was brought up in the house of Pharaoh to deliver Israel from the very bondage that he was bringing. Something happens when we start to cry out. Doors of influence start to happen. It says here that she sent her maid to get it, and when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby cried out. I don't know about you, I... I assume a lot of you have had children, but some of you haven't, but there's something interesting about when a baby cries out, yeah? I mean, it's not good at really any time of the day, but the worst time you can have an infant that wants to cry out is when you're on a plane. And this one time when I was going to America on a plane, and it's a 12 and a half hour flight, and it's overnight, it leaves at 930 very convenient for you, 9.30 p.m. at night, so that you can sleep during the night, arrive at L.A. refreshed, yes? Just like I just went to bed, basically, on a plane. The only problem is, if you've traveled a little bit, you sit on the plane watching the people come onto the plane, and you're like, please, please, God, don't have that person sit next to me, please, God. Not that person. Oh, she, yes, she can sit next to me. Or he, that's if you're single. Uh, He can sit next to me. I don't mind him sitting next to me. And then, then, then the families start coming on with the children, yes? And you're like, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's it. All the way down the back of the plane. We don't need any children kicking my seat. I remember when we went to uh, 
went to um, Australia, uh, not this year, but the last time, and I'm sitting on the plane, I had one of those wonderful children behind me kicking my seat for three and a half hours. You know, those great kids that, that Jesus loves, but you kind of want to send to heaven early. Um, and they're coming on, and, and this, this mum starts coming onto the plane, and she had a fairly newborn baby, and she's coming onto the plane, and I'm like, please, please, God, just just keep her going. Keep her going. And then the attendant says to her, because I'd done this thing where I booked my seat at the exit row so that I have more leg room so that you can stretch out and sleep better. The problem is, is that is that the exit row lines up with the row where the bassinets get put in with the babies. And so my geniusness became an issue as the hostess led this woman to the seat across the aisle from me with her newborn baby and a bassinet on an overnight flight of 12 and a half hours in this. I just prayed and said, God bless her. And I thank you that she's going to do a really good job and that baby's not going to cry. And that prayer worked for about two hours. And then the baby started. You know what it's like, parents, this morning. It's, or actually, our two kids were quite different. Madison would wake up and immediately within waking up would be, within a second of waking up would be, until she had been fed. You, you know, the kind of child. Just, and it's just like, yes, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm all, just, just, just wait. You know, I'm getting it. And she used to, as she grew up, she used to, she's going to hate me for telling the story, but that's okay. I got the microphone. But she would drain a whole entire bottle of, of formula and then just start just going ballistic because she obviously wanted more. So you quickly make another one, get it heated in the microwave, sort of like give it to her and then she goes, two sucks and she was done. And then she goes straight to sleep. Seth, on the other hand, would slowly wake, and it would take him about half an hour to build up to the massive cry. And then you, you know, get him something to eat, and he would, he would do this. And he'd take like all night just to drink 50 mils. You know, kids are so different, aren't they? But this baby was kind of a Madison baby. It woke, and it was just like, and it was just going off its nut, just going. Off its nut. And obviously the, I could hear the mother saying to the other mother next to her, it's, it's not time for his feed yet. I'm, I'm trying to stretch out his feeds. And I'm like, I don't care what you're trying to do. Feed the sucker. You know, like, get it to shut up. I'm trying to sleep over here. Just, just get the thing to shut up. And then she pulls out of her pocket one of these. We call it a dummy, but the scientific term is a pacifier. And, she shoves the pacifier in, into the baby's mouth. And what happens? The baby stops crying because it's been pacified by the pacifier. And I'm like, oh, praise God. Praise God. It's got this pacifier in. The problem is, is after about 15, 20 minutes, the pacifier kept coming out and the baby kept crying. And she kept putting it back in and it come out again and the baby kept crying. And put it back in and put it back out again the baby keep crying and he's like for goodness sake woman give it the boob that's what it wants it doesn't want to be pacified it wants the life source of the mother it wants it, it, it's, it's hungry for something it's not being naughty 
The child is hungry, and you can try and give it the substitute woman, but what it wants is the real thing, and it won't shut up until it gets the real thing because it's hungry for the real thing. And the problem with you and I, friend, when we settle for comfort, it's usually because we have started to pursue the call that God has on our lives, and then the enemy has come along, and when you've been crying out in your hunger, and he's put something in your mouth to pacify you, a changing career that you didn't see coming, but it's not really what God has called you to do. For, oh boy, the money's good. Or that girl's come along. Or that boy's come along. Or something else has come along. And then we end up impassified in our Christianity. Wanting the life source that is God, but settling for a substitute. And the baby on the plane refused the substitute because it wanted the real thing. And I believe that this year, for you and I, this is really hard preaching with a dummy in your mouth. For you and I, it's time that we spat the dummy. We stop, satis- we stop settling for our pacified Christianity. And we start to cry out to our life source again. And we don't take anything but the real thing. Until we are filled and we're hungered the Bible says this, those that hunger and thirst shall be filled. And the way that you get hungry in the world is you don't eat. But the way that you get hungry spiritually is the more you eat, the hungrier you come. The more you cry out, the more you become hungry. And the more hungry you become, the more you pursue what it is that God has called you to do. And the infant cried out. Moses cried out. Israel cried out for a deliverer. And Moses cried out. And Moses became the deliverer. Something happens when we cry out. Something happens when when we decide that we're not going to live pacified any longer. When we're not going to play church. When we're not going to settle for the counterfeit. When we're going to actually change a job and suffer the loss of wages because we feel called to do something about domestic abuse in our nation instead of just ignoring it and going ta-ta when we see it on the news. It's something that happens when you're hungry for God and it's about the pursuit of his call. It's like, well, if I, if I left this job and I got a less income, how would I get a house? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Nobody gives up home nor family nor anything the scripture teaches that God does not give back 60, 80 or 100 fold in this life and the one to come. Because you ain't going to care what sort of house you live in here when you're spending eternity up there. And it's the call that's got to drive us. We've got to somehow break out of this apathy and break out of this comfort that we've got ourselves into and go, you know what? We're going to cry out and I'm not going to stop crying until I get the thing that I need. Because this community needs us to do that. Your neighbor needs you to do that. Something happens when God's children cry out. In Exodus 2, we know that baby Moses cried out and a door of influence opened up where he was raised in the very house that was trying to destroy him. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah cries out for a second chance, doesn't he? Cries out for a second chance and God comes and swallows him in a fish and vomits him up on the beach near Nineveh and there's Jonah going into Nineveh preaching the gospel, stinking a fish. How funny that the God of Nineveh was actually a fish God 
and the guy that brought the good news stunk of it. Something happens when we cry out, and in Luke 18, blind man Bartimaeus on the side of the road is crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone's like, be quiet, shut your mouth, be quiet. They're trying to shove the pacifier in his mouth and get him to be quiet, but Jesus heard him, and he was healed. And in Matthew 27, it says that Jesus cried out. And he said, it is finished. What's finished? Sin has been dealt with. Healing has been dealt with. Pain has been dealt with. The stuff that you worried about that you need to sort out, he paid the price for. It is finished. And if that is finished, then what's the purpose now for our lives but anything but the call? The goal of our lives should never be for comfort. The goal of our lives should never be stuck in this perpetual motion of I've got all this stuff that I need to sort out in my life first and then I'll pursue Jesus. Nobody that's done anything for Jesus that's outrageous and wild has ever had it all together. Moses was a murderer, remember? Joseph was a spoilt little entitled brat. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Come on, friend, you've got to understand something. It's not about what you think you need to do. It's what is he calling me to? And Joseph, even though he had done everything, he saved the world, was not satisfied with that. Because I know that God is calling us onto this the promise that he made, our forefathers, that's where I want to end up. I don't want to stuck here. I want to go into the promise. And I think this year, 2019, is you can't afford to be stuck knowing that God has called you to do something but feeling uncomfortable about stepping out into it and so I'm just going to stay comfortable. Because the world needs you. The world needs you. It doesn't need me, it needs you. I can only do what I can do, I can only do this. If we really want to reach our community, friend, we're not going to reach it. If we do what we did last year, we're not going to reach it. Because the leaders of this church can't reach that community. You can reach the community. Because you're the one that's called to do the ministry. You're the one that's called to run a connect group in a cafe on a Friday morning, breakfast with four other people, just asking them how life is going and praying for them when they go through difficult things. You're the one that's been called to go and visit the mum who's just had a newborn baby and help her out and maybe do some of her washing or whatever needs to be done just to take some pressure off her. You're the one who's called to fix the solar mum's car because you're really good at fixing cars and she can't afford to send it to a mechanic so you'll do it for her. You're the one that's called to go into the, into the hospital or into the, in, into the cancer, um, what do we call it, place, and pray for people and be there for people. You're the one that when your next door neighbor's parents pass away, that God is called to make them a meal or bake them a cake or do something which shows the love of Jesus. You are the answer to saving the world. And you are called to do it. And for us to stay in comfort 
and not do what God has called us to do is purely one thing and one thing only. And I know this is a really strong message this morning. But if we don't do what he's asked us to do, then friend, we're just in rebellion against him. And God will pass us by because he goes looking for who will stand in the gap. Who can I call on? Who's going to do this thing for me? Who's going to spit the dummy this year so that we can see lives transformed and changed? Why don't you all close your eyes just for a moment? Father, I pray for every single person in this place. God, not that they would be condemned. We don't want anyone to be condemned. You don't come to condemn us, but God, you certainly come to challenge us. And your word says that unless we become like a child, we can't inherit the kingdom of God. And the thing about a child is that it's so dependent on the parent. The thing about a baby is that it can't get what it needs from anything else other than the life source. Can't get it anywhere else. You can tr- we can try, but it needs the life, it needs the milk. God, I pray for every single person in this place that we would We would have a look at our lives as we go from here, that we would look at our situation as we go from here and we would we would challenge ourselves saying, Am am I positioned for the life source? Am I am I crying out to God or is or have I settled in comfort? Am I really pursuing what it is that I feel He's called me to do? Am I really serving to the capacity, as your word says, that you have plans for us, that you have set aside particular things for us to do? Have I cried out to you to find out what those are or have I just decided attending church on Sunday is good enough? Father, may we be a church that not just today and and not just next week and not just while we're prayer and fasting, but may we become a body, may we become a family, a church that is always crying out to the life source, be it this week, next week or in a year to come. Lord, that we would be known as a place that doesn't settle and sit, but we're constantly crying out for the next thing. God, that you would take us into all that it is that you promised, that we'd start to see that every single one of us has a calling on our lives and the most important thing we could ever do when we face you that one day on the day of judgment is not say I was saved and had a comfortable life but I was saved and I did what you called me to do so that we may hear good and faithful servant. May we get our eyes off this world and start getting it on to the things to come that in view of his mercy that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice and that we would kick the passivity to the curb, that we would spit the dummy, that would start to cry out and would start to cry out and would start to cry out, not just for you to save us from our situation, but to lead us into the promise. Lead us into the promise, into the calling. God, that you give us opportunity, Lord, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our workplaces and our schools. I don't know where you are all at this morning, and I certainly don't want 
to get an emotional response from people, but I feel that there needs to be a response if this is what you need to do. And, and I know it sounds really weird, but it's comfortable sitting in your seat right now. It's kind of uncomfortable standing at the front right now. And so if you're here this morning, just keep your eyes closed and listen to me just for a moment. If you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, I want to shift from comfort to calling. I want to, I want to shift from the comfort to the calling. Then I want you, I'm just going to be quiet for about 30 seconds and I want you to get out of your chair where you're sitting and come and stand at the front. Get out of your comfort and step to the front as a way of you saying to God, I am stepping out of my comfort and coming into my call. I almost hesitate to say this, John and Debbie. I almost hesitate to say it because I don't like to say things of this magnitude and and there's this hesitation or uncomfortableness in me right now to say this to you guys because if I say it, then we're going to be judged by it. But I really, really feel like you guys kind of made a decision recently just around your business about you really want to honor God with it. And it was almost like this conversation of when we get to this stage, we're really going to do this. And and I feel like God is saying, if you'll start to do that for me now, if you start to pursue the call on your business for the kingdom now, I will add, 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 I will add to your business so crazily. You won't have to go on looking for work. It's just going to come flooding through the door because he said, I know I can trust you and, and I can trust you and you'll be blessed by it. He's not telling you to give everything away. He wants you to uh, love life and enjoy the benefits of your hard work. But he's saying if it's like seek ye first and all, oh, I'm just going to add and add and add and add and add and add. And it's not just about the church. It's about you're just going to do things for people. There's going to be stuff that you're going to do for your business. It's just going to, it will change worlds. It will change lives. It will change communities because God can trust you because he knows you'll do the right thing with it. And what he lets you have will be more and abundantly more than you could ever deal with. So, Father, I pray for them right now as they start to make decisions around their business and, and what to do. God, I thank you that, God, they're, they're so God-honoring, Lord, that in that you would honor them and that they would just 
Be so at peace about what it is that you are asking them to do. That they would just see the adding and the adding and the adding and the adding and the adding coming to their world. I pray for their family right now, all of their kids. Right now, God, that they would see them honoring you and that it would touch their hearts and they would be blessed and their kids would serve you and pursue you and have the same heart for God as they have and that you would protect them and keep them safe. As they put you first, God, that you'll put them first and their family first. I don't know who it is up the front here this morning, but I feel like God is saying there's at least one person that I feel like God has been talking to you about changing jobs and your fear of changing jobs is that it's something you'd love to do, but your income would be reduced significantly. And so you're hesitated to do that because you're like, man, I, I, I can't afford to do that. I say this with, you know, please talk to me and just don't, run off if this is your thing but I feel like God's saying if you will if you will pursue the call I'll take care of that if you'll pursue the call I'll take care of it I know I know what it's like to do that I did that when I came here but if you pursue the call God takes care of you I've seen that in my parents life I've seen that in Trinity's parents lives that that they've come out of situations financially incredibly well because they made sure that they put God first it's just a principle. You look after him, he looks after you. And I just sense that you're hesitating. You're so hesitating doing this. But you know this is what God's called you to do, and it's time. It's time to step into what he's called you to. Seek you first, and he'll take care of the rest. There's some guys here thinking about careers and thinking about university. And I would encourage you, pray and ask, what is it that you're calling me to do? Don't just study something because you're going to enjoy it. Study it because it's what he's called you to. So Father, I pray for these people that have stepped out of their chairs this morning. Well, we're going to sing a song shortly and we're going to worship you. And I pray that as they sing the words of the song, that it'll be like the infant crying out, that the hunger that's in them, Lord, that the true life source of Jesus Christ would come, Holy Spirit, in such a way and fill the hunger, fill the void, give them a clear understanding of where you're taking them, Lord, that their hunger would be satisfied, that there wouldn't be this gap any longer, but that you would satisfy them. Lord, with, as they cry out, as they sing, as they worship you this morning.